unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Hey, Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. And starting to warm up. The winter's almost over. The snow is almost. You don't have to deal with the snow like we do. No, but we had some cold winds last night. I mean, they must have been gusting up 30 to 4 miles. 40 miles an hour doesn't seem like much, but when you're right off the ocean, it gets chilly and nasty. Oh, yeah. Well, luckily, thankfully, we're starting to hit the part of the year where it's warming up. So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful to be on the podcast again with you for another exciting episode. And I'm just going to hand it over to you and uh, see what we got lined up for the listeners today. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll start out. I've been reading a book called Hackers and Painters by Silicon Valley philosopher Paul Graham, who's also a painter, as well as a hacker, a programmer. He has a PhD from Harvard in computer science, and he co-founded a startup, Bioweb, that sold to Yahoo for $50 million, plus many more accomplishments. A smart guy. Now, I'm telling you that so that you don't discount what I'm going to say next, because in the book, he makes a comment that sounds really simple-minded when you first hear it. But when you think about it for a little while, you realize it's profound. He says, nearly all great paintings are of people because people are what people are interested in. Duh. After all, the Mona Lisa wasn't painting of a building. That's mean on him. Now, you might ask, what about copy? I would argue the same thing applies. <clears throat> the copy that sells the best is mostly about people. An obvious example is the Wall Street Journal sales letter, which has been tracked to sell more than $2 billion, that's billion with a B, in newspaper subscriptions, and no other tracked copy has ever come close to that. <clears throat> the letter starts out, on a beautiful late spring afternoon, 25 years ago, two young men graduated from the same college. They were very much alike. These two young men, both had been better than average students. Both were personable and both, as young college graduates are, were filled with ambitions and dreams for the future. Okay, that ends the quote. It's all about people. It just doesn't get much more human than that. Um, today, we're going to talk about what I'm calling human copy and why it sells more for you and three ways to use the power of human copy, including some things I bet you've never heard before. But I'm almost positive that in the past, you've heard this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So let's talk about what human copy is. 
Can I ask you a question before we jump into that? Of course. This has to do with the fact that you, before you were a copywriter, you were also a journalist. In journalism, they teach you the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why. And I noticed that the first one is who. Does that kind of play into this? Well, well sure. It, it is. And, you know, in, in one of the resources in the, <clears throat> the book, um, in one of the books I'm quoting, which I'll just show you right now, um, can't even read it, can you? Uh, it's The Art of Readable Writing by um, Rudolph Flesch. I mean, he talks about that specifically. He says that he went to Time Magazine and he went to uh, Reader's Digest and he asked them, what's your secret? What's your formula? And they didn't know. They couldn't articulate it. But as he analyzed what they'd written, it was, in, especially when they had a, a technical or a political or scientific subject, they would always personalize it with the story. And, they, and so, yes, I mean, it's, it's very important. And it's important to understand that, yeah, people matter, but there, there are other things that go in there. But there are, I've seen so much copy lately including by very successful copywriters that just doesn't have these, this human power in it. And when it does, you know, you can't overdo it. And sometimes when the copies, technical, medical, health, financial software, you can't make it mostly about people, but you, you've got to have people as part of the whole package. Okay. Let me just jump in. We've got a lot to cover, and we've got three human copy secrets. So, and this is not just about how to put people in your copy. It's about, well, you'll see. It's it's about how to get certain results with the inclusion of, of human copy. So, most copywriters know that getting your prospect to believe is not optional. You have to do that as one item on the list of things required to close the sale, but a majority of copywriters are not nearly as clear on how much better human proof works than simply throwing in a bunch of facts or logic onto the page. For example, testimonials. Most of the time, a good testimonial will increase your sales, but not all testimonials are created equal. Veteran copywriter Don Houtman, a friend of this podcast who was also a guest expert on here once, points out that there's one type of testimonial that doesn't move the needle much at all. He calls it a superlative testimonial. This is where you find a prospect gushing all over themselves with high-octane adjectives. Let's say you had an app for, it had an ad for an app that helps you save time by getting organized, better organized. A superlative testimonial might be, Organize Assistant is awesome. This is the coolest time management app ever. Lev. What does that mean? Basically, it says that Lev is very excited about Organize Assistant. But so what? How does that reassure you or make you want to buy it? The second type of testimonial Don mentions is what he calls anecdotal. This one has much more human power. Now, it is true that gushing all over the place is human but it's not very convincing in a human way. 
by comparison, an anecdotal testimonial can be much more convincing. Here's an example of that. Finally, I found a way to divide up my time on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and still have enough time to get real work done. Organize Assistant is the bomb. I'm so glad I have this app. Dimitri. So it's not the world's greatest testimonial, but it's far more convincing than awesome and the coolest. Again, think about real life. If you have two friends, let's call them Lev and Dimitri, and Lev tells you that the app he gets, all he tells you is that it's awesome and cool, aren't you going to at least ask him how he uses it and what it's doing for him, if you're interested at all? On the other hand, wouldn't you instantly be more convinced if Dimitri told you how he's using it and what results he's getting? I know I would. I think most people would. The important thing about making believability human copy is that you need to look at what you do in real life and what other people do and what works. When people say something that you believe, it comes across as natural and not forced. That's what you're looking for in your copy as well. The less your prospect looks at your copy from afar to evaluate it, evaluate the claims you're making, evaluate the ideas, and the more your prospect easily engages with it, engages with what you're saying, and turns off their skeptical, critical mental filter, the more likely they are to believe it. Now, back to traditional proof elements like statistics and logic for just a second. You wouldn't want to leave them out. Instead, you should use them to cement belief in. Here's what I mean by that. Start out with something human, a quote, a story, a slice of life. It's only when your prospect starts to believe that. So they'll hear something human. They'll start to believe it, and then they'll get skeptical, mostly to protect themselves from getting tricked and burned. Now, statistics and logics are really helpful here. It's true, they're not as human as what we've been talking about for the most part so far. But the way the human mind works, the way your prospect's mind works, is once someone's on the way to being convinced, then questions arrive. I notice this a lot on product packaging copy. A lot of times the the image on the front is the human being having the fun or getting the results or doing the thing that the product is for. And then on the back is all of the logical and technical reasons why you should reinforce the belief that you came away from when you looked at the front of the package. Yeah, that's exactly right. So their copywriting is the point of sale copy on the product itself when someone's in the store looking at it. So some questions that prospect that you want to answer with this more logical copy is what does science say? I mean, these are the things that you would find on, on those um, over-the-counter drugs. What does science say? How does the thing work? Is it reliable? How many other people have found it reliable? And so on. Unfortunately, this is where a lot of copywriters start with believability copy with this you know, these logical, factual questions. But this should be punch number two of a one-two punch. So punch one is human proof. Punch two is logical, scientific, analytical proof. Uh, as a side note, I'd like to reveal that scientists are human too. They just don't always communicate in ways that would make this readily apparent. Now, to be fair, it's not a universal rule that you always want to lead with human proof. Sometimes if you're selling a technical product to a technical user, then 
when you have laboratory studies showing its effectiveness or a respected industry publication giving it five stars, you might be better off leading with that kind of stuff than with more analytical proof. But even with products like that, adding in some human proof later will usually help your sale. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. All right, so let's move to human copy secret number two, keeping your prospect reading. Um, experienced copywriters surrender to the idea that most readers are scammers. Uh, this is not a bad thing to believe, especially because with all the distractions and time constraints everyone is facing these days, it's a reality most of the time, and you have to write with this in mind. So this includes things like making your subheads relevant to the copy, but still very curiosity provoking, keeping blocks of copy on the page as short as possible, and using intriguing, relevant pictures and graphics to break up the text. But there is a way to make human connection with your copy more likely and to keep the prospect reading. For this, let's turn to Rudolph Flesh, who I was showing you before. This is his book, The Art of Readable Writing. And he makes this statement. Only stories are really readable. Only stories are really readable. And remember, this is the guy who developed the concept of readability. If you've ever put your copy through a readability checker, whether it's Microsoft Word or, I don't know, it's Hemingway perhaps has it, a lot of programs, that all came out of Rudolph Flesch's work. Uh, Flesch and a, a guy named Gunning, uh, but Flesch first. So. Only stories readable. He has a couple of simple, straightforward suggestions. Number one, put everything in terms of a story with people. And number two, give the people names. Duh. But a lot of people don't do that. But when you do that, it helps. Um, in his book, he writes, count all the personal names in your story. Names of people. Then count all the personal pronouns. This is before we had pronouns like Jure uh, and so forth. So I'll let you bring this up to date if that's important to you. Um, count all the personal pronouns like he, she, him, her, I, me, they, them. Don't count they if the word doesn't refer to people. So you could be talking about a herd of sheep and say they. That, that's not, you don't count that. Then count all the masculine or feminine words like uncle or grandmother. And, but don't count unisex words like people or folks. Now count the number of words in your story. Here are some baselines. You, and you want to find a percentage. If you have zero of these words, 
per 100 words. It's probably a technical or scientific paper. And from a readability point of view, that's not good. Good readable nonfiction, nonfiction, you'll get maybe five or six of these words, personal pronouns, that kind of thing. Jobs which are gender specific, five or six percent. In a novel, you'll probably get over 20. 20% of all words, one out of every five words will be a personal word of some kind. Um, so I would say for your copy, the number should be somewhere between five and 20%. The more your copy is about people, as long as the writing is interesting, the more readable it will be, and the longer you'll be able to hold your prospect's attention. What about the the wee-wee your wee-wee is showing when you go to somebody's <laughs> sales page or you read, open somebody's sales letter and they're talking about people, but the only people they're talking about is themselves. Your wee-wee is showing, that's like an adult gender reveal party, I guess. <laughs> well, when they're like, here at Corporation XYZ, we really care about this and we try to strive for this and we do. Yeah, so we, I mean, if it's about me, the person writing it, if I'm just bragging or going off on some rant on, you know, why bluebirds are more interesting than sparrows or something, you know, totally self-interested and not of interest to anybody else. Um, no, but if I'm talking about something I went through that you can identify, that could have a lot of human interest. So, and, and certainly if I'm talking about the prospect and the prospect's life, that might be the best of all. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's talk about human copy power secret number three, which is connecting at a deep level. Uh, think about a movie or a TV show where you were so riveted to the story that you forgot where you were or what time it was, and you were able to tell someone else about it almost like you lived it. Um, remember in the last show, uh, we had Richard Dennis on, and he was telling stories that he lived, you know, minute by minute. Uh, you could, I could actually visualize what he was going through. Um, so sometimes you'll watch some fiction, a movie or a TV show, and you'll get so engaged in it the same way. Um, and this happens because people can identify with what they're reading or seeing. In fact, they're reading, there's a good chance they're converting the words they're reading into pictures in their mind if it's written well enough so that. They can do that. And one possible explanation for story and copy connecting so instantly and completely with viewers is that it resonates with them. The great copywriter Joe Sugarman wrote about what keeps people engaged in copy in his book, Advertising Secrets of the Written Word. Um, that was the original title. Now it's been re released as the Adweek Copywriting Handbook. And Joe writes, Buying is an emotional, human experience. When we exchange our hard-earned money for a product or service, buying something becomes an emotional event. That alone is worth thinking about. We're leading people up to an emotional event. Here is what Joe says about resonating. In creating a direct response advertisement, it is important that you create a condition where your customer is in perfect resonance with your copy. Sugarman suggests that you visualize each part of your copy like a giant tuning fork 
that vibrates on the same frequency as your customer does. This should be true of your headline, your picture in your copy, caption in your picture, and every sentence in your copy from the lead all the way to the call to action. It's hard to explain how to do this, but you'll know it when you see it. One way possibly to do this is to look at copy that you're writing like you were telling a story to a child or explaining something to a child. Don't be condescending, but instead write as though you were talking to an equal, but who had the understanding of a child. Simple conversational language that doesn't get bogged down in boring, intricate details is a good way to approach this. When you listen to two friends talking, most of the time they'll talk in short words and simple sentences. If they're not trying to impress each other with how smart they are, but simply communicating in a connected way, that's how they'll talk, and that's what you're going for here. Joe Sugarman had another great idea that explains the power of humanizing very succinctly. The thing is, it's not with words, it's with pictures and an ad. He says, use a picture of a human hand holding a small product. The hand adds size and perspective to what is being presented and also adds that human element. Just like in real life, right? If you want to show a friend something, like let's say I wanted to show Nathan something new that I'd gotten, I'd hold it in my hand. Um, just like that. Um, actually, I've had that whisk for a while, but I was just using it as an example. Um, you'd probably do the same thing. So um, before we wrap up, any further thoughts on this? Uh, just, and you didn't really mention this, but I was going to get your take on it. Mm. Uh, a lot of, because most of my copy, most of my clients, I'm working on their websites. I'm doing sales pages on their website. Uh, one of the things is when it comes to like where we're going to add credibility and we're, we're going to get to the point where we talk about the client or the person that came up with whatever it is that we're selling, having a little profile picture there works. Also, the top section of the website, a lot of times the very first thing that we put, we call it the hero section. Um, we're going to have a picture of either the person whose website it is, or we're going to have a picture of people who represent the target market doing the thing that it is that uh, we do. So it's not really copy, but having a, having pictures of people we've noticed by using um, like uh, heat mapping on the websites, those images draw people in and can re refocus people towards the copy. Uh, so it's not really copy, but it is adding a human element to it. And we've, uh, we've seen, Images of books or libraries or cars or things like that don't pull people in the same way that pictures of people do. Yeah, that's that's a great example. And it's true. It's not copy, but it is part of the story you're telling. And and that's really that's really the most important point here. That copy is usually the way we tell stories in sales, in copywriting, in marketing. But now and and you're also really good to point out that you've tested things that are not people and they don't work as well. Mm -hmm. So and that just hammers the point home. I like that. Thank you. So you've mentioned a couple of books. I would love it if you would go back through real quick and, and let listeners know what those books are. I'll make sure to link them in the show notes, but okay, uh, you mentioned some really great ones this week. Yeah. Hackers and Painters. It's a fantastic book by Paul Graham. The first half of it is incredible. It has the best section on how wealth is created 
and why people have so many negative feeling about uh, feelings about money and about rich people. It it's the best thing I've ever seen. It really is. The second half's about computer languages, and I'm struggling through it with my teeth clenched. But the first half is incredible. Nothing, and there's some other cool stuff in there too. Obviously, the thing about painting. Um, second one, the art of readable writing by Rudolf Flesch that is available on Amazon as a used book. Uh, and finally, the updated version of Advertising Secrets to the Written Word, which is now called the Ad Week Copywriting Handbook, same book by Joe Sugarman. Incredible book. One of my favorites. Awesome. David, another fantastic episode. I really appreciate you putting, you put in a lot of work to put these together. And I feel like uh, a lot of times, especially on episodes like this, it's what listeners might get if they paid for a copywriting course and you just give them away freely every week. So I really appreciate that. I know the listeners out there appreciate it. Listeners, if you want to catch more of this kind of quality copywriting material, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. You can do that over at copywriterspodcast.com. And while you're on your favorite podcast app, make sure to leave us a rating and a review. We'd really appreciate it. And anything else before we're out of here, David? No, thanks. Thanks for what you said. Yeah, this one, this one took a lot of work and it was worth it. And who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe I'll sell it anyway. <laughs> uh, nice. All right. Paywall coming soon for the Copywriters <laughs> Podcast. Until next time, man. We'll catch you later. Catch you later. Thanks. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.